Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So uh, today, you know, guest is uh, is really remarkable. I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit when it comes to building and scaling, also when it comes to turning things around from being like literally one month away from bankruptcy, you name it, recruiting, you know, over 120 or so in, in just 11 months. I think that it's going to be full, full, full of adrenaline stories. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Timothy Yu. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Alejandro. So let's say, do a little of a walk through memory lane here, uh, Timothy. So you were born and raised in Hong Kong. So how was life growing up? Uh, life was, um, uh, I would say it's quite normal and neutral. I won't say it's a really amazing childhood, uh, but I mean, as most of the Asian students, Asian kids, I mean, you spend most of your life in tutorial centers. I mean, that's basically for, for over 90% of the kids around uh, uh, with, within my community. Uh, I mean, I, I was the whole life, I was, um, uh, I would define myself as a math student. I studied math in high school, very uh, uh, into math uh, for the whole time. And even in university, I studied math and statistics. Uh, and I guess it seems like it's quite narrow as a skill set. Uh, so that's why which is quite natural that uh, the only thing I know how to do in the in college life is to tutor students. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, end up I um, I started my first job as a, as a tutor when I was in in, in high school actually, which uh, eventually we built it into what we are today, uh, Snapbus uh, in nine markets, sh- serving about four million students on their day to day study. Yeah, so it's quite a journey for us. Yeah. And in your case, um, you know, math and statistics, that's why you went to university to study. So why, and you were, you were alluding to it, that you got into it like quite early, you know, with math. So, so what, what do you think got that interest and attention from you so early on around math and perhaps statistics? I guess the, the passion is always about finding truth uh, and finding solutions. Uh, so in, I mean, solving, solving math problems, solving these uh, conundrums and, and, and puzzles, it's always uh, fascinating for me uh, to make sure uh, my head is clear. Uh, I'm always putting together all the pieces I have. And, I, and if there is always a missing puzzle, I find, find out uh, how we can fit that, fill, fill that in. Um, so it's um, it's a problem solving skills that we have acquired uh, along the way, uh, which leads it to what it is today. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess it, 
being a math student actually helps me a lot into building companies as well because it's it's quite a similar uh, a logic as in uh, you know things some things and it's not working students is not coming in users not paying or there are always problems that are happening in a, in a in a company 24/7 so uh, myself trained up with this kind of um, problem solving uh, skills and mindset i think it's uh, really valuable for me as a skill set building up from a young childhood era yeah and also i mean growing up you probably experienced to the incredible growth that uh, hong kong you know has experienced you know the region So uh, I mean that that was probably like remarkable for you as well to to see that and and perhaps you know at some point you you made the decision I'm gonna I'm gonna do something of my own to in the future. Yes, definitely. Back then when I was when I was in college, there there isn't a lot of opportunities and and actually having a startup is not a thing yet back then. Uh, so you I mean uh, it was just I guess 2011, uh, 2008 to 2011 when I was uh, uh, in, in university. So that was the, the age when uh, that's the um, Lehman Brothers, um, the whole financial crisis uh, kind of couple of years that, that people are in really deep troubles. Uh, so back then, myself studying math and, 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 and statistics, and I also had a, had a major in finance as well. So um, uh, my family always pushes me to become a financier somehow. I, I don't know why. Uh, but then being a banker or having a professional uh, job in the, in, the, in the financial world has always been uh, one of the priorities for me uh, in, my, in my career build-up stage. Uh, so it was quite uh, natural for me. Uh, as the first job, I, I joined a bank. Uh, but then it, it doesn't feel right for me. Uh, there is always um, this passion about building something, not necessarily education back then, uh, but then building something for myself that can represent my own uh, creativity, uh, represent my own passion, as well as um, uh, there is always this component of um, uh, having a platform of playground for me to, to testing out uh, and, and finding solution. Yeah, I guess education as a starting point for me, it was it was almost like, Something that's by chance. I mean, it's just so happened that I started my first career as a tutor that eventually leads it to what it is today. Yeah. But in your case, I mean, you you did after university, you know, test out the um, the corporate angle, and and you were working at this bank as a clerk. So so really uh, managing that with at the same thing at time, you know, like really you know perhaps exploring what would eventually become Snap Ask, but. You know, there's a lot of people probably that are listening now and, and watching and, and they're, you know, wondering, they're like, oh, you know, when should be the right time for me to maybe jump ship and finally allocate time to my startup full time? I mean, I'm sure that you were also dealing with that. So how was that time for you? There was this moment when I, when I, when I know um, I should start something, uh, but it's not like, okay, I, I have to start, so I throw everything away in my life and, and just start, right? I think it's quite, uh, quite similar for most people. You cannot just wake up one day and think, I, I will start a company, right? Uh, you almost would have uh, still a job that you're on and things that you, duties and responsibilities that you have. But then, um, so quite similar for me back then, uh, having my, 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 uh, my job in a, in, in the daytime in the, in the bank. Uh, so the first thing I, I, I think I, I wanted to try something out. So I, I applied for some programs in Hong Kong. There are, there are these um, programs uh, that support, com support people to start companies. Uh, so I submitted my proposal and then I got a call from them. Hey, you, sh you should come to, come to our, our office and do a pitch. 
so yeah, I, I went there. I still remember I I um uh, I went there in the in the morning. So I I get a day off that day to to just pitch them up my my idea. I got I got shit on quite well quite badly. I mean, people don't don't like the idea of uh, so you, you being so young. First of all, first and foremost, you are not experienced at all. You're just one or two years out of college. Uh, I mean, there is no reason why you would have a much better edge than any other people doing what you are thinking. What you have is just an idea, I guess. Um, uh, but eventually, I got in. I mean, luckily. So I, I asked that um, manager of the of the program. So where was I in in the whole uh, list, right? So they told me I'm almost the last person in the list to got in. But then uh, eventually, they helped me on on some uh, uh, seed funding as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I started. I had a really small office in in the in the in the center. Uh, so started recruiting some uh, uh, interns from university. Uh, so yeah, that's how we started. It was 2011 um, at that at that time, uh, first year out of college. Uh, and I guess for for most people who are thinking about, hey, I should start my own company. I should start. I mean, my recommendation would always be just don't don't immediately start something uh, until you research enough. And I, I think there are lots of tools nowadays that you can definitely uh, do it on the side to support you to test out your ideas and and do it scientifically. So yeah. So about testing the ideas, I mean, at what point did you realize that this idea had legs? So the first version of, of SnapBask is actually not SnapBask. Uh, it's um, it's it's just myself teaching online. So when I was when I was uh, still in university, I, I gathered a couple of friends uh, uh, because we are all doing tutoring, uh, having having as a gig uh, as a side job, uh, and. Uh, so I, I just gathered a couple of friends and we started a very small tutorial center. We just split the rent and we each have a classroom uh, and we just started tutoring, having our own students and class and materials and everything. Um, but then uh, it was the second year when we find out, I mean, it's just myself being a, a lazy person. I feel like I, I'm repeating myself a lot with the lectures that I'm teaching. Uh, so why don't I just just do screen recording of me teaching online, right? Uh, and and uh, people should pay for my classes, right? So I, I had that idea in mind. I think okay, online education should work like this. I should not be repeating myself, but then I, I should just put this video online and charge, right? So it was a huge failure uh, when I first upload my 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 first, I guess twenty thirty videos. Uh, it was just me teaching all the all the uh, topics in, in in the curriculum. Uh, I don't know why, uh, but I, I I I do I do everything I can, right? I teach the classes and I upload them. Um, so it, it's um uh, it it's something I still remember uh, until today about uh, don't do everything before you have a um, proper plan to test things out, not the proper plan to execute. You have to know what exactly you are testing, and you have the right amount of uh, resources put in. And if something works, you should put in more. Uh, and subsequently, uh, within all these steps, linking it is not just um, a linear process. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's branches. It, it branches out to a, to a level that every step is a test, which comes back with results that drives you to the next step. So uh, this is something um, I, we, myself, the team has been uh, holding on uh, a lot during the whole process, but. After the first first stage, when we do videos online and started gathering some students, we have some students, but then no one is paying for the service, which means it's a failing business. But then we we got some traffic, uh, and so we pivot. We know this is not something that that works. If if what I did back then was okay, if the first thirty videos uh, didn't work, I should make sixty more. Or if the first sixty didn't work, I should make another hundred. Uh, it will become in a bigger and bigger failure. 
So uh, the first thing I did was um, I, I went back, I studied what happened, and I talked to the users, talked to the students. Uh, and one thing quite interesting that came out uh, was uh, students every day after they, they ask, uh, I mean, they, they, they look at, they watch the videos, um, uh, it's different topics. So students left comment and they inbox me and start asking questions. Uh, so uh, I, I think it was, it was only a month or two after the, the first batch of videos um, uh, were, were accumulated on the platform. It was a, just a Facebook page back then. I started seeing a lot of messages uh, inboxed um, um, uh, coming in, asking questions about those videos. So then I started answering those questions and more students coming to ask questions. So I, I ended up having my friends to log into my account to help me answer questions. So that, that's almost like a version zero of Snapass, of having a bunch of tutors on a platform to start answering questions. Yeah. So then what ended up being really the business model that we know today of SnapAsk and how do you guys make money? Yeah, it is. It is. So uh, now it turns into, a, um, I mean, based on the first version of uh, students watching videos and, and asking questions based on the topics that they have doubts about. So now what we're doing is uh, we connect students uh, with questions um, about their homework, study, exam preparation, and we connect them with qualified tutors uh, uh, in, in the local market. Uh, and now we are serving uh, four, over 4 million students with uh, over 350,000 tutors around the world. So our primary focus right now is mostly in the Asian markets. So we started off in Hong Kong. Now we're in Taiwan, Singapore, most of the Southeast Asian market. Uh, and the newly developed markets like Japan and South Korea are also one of the fastest growing uh, uh, regions that we're in. Yeah. So in this case, I mean, obviously tremendous growth. Uh, how, much, how much capital have you guys raised to date? Uh, so to date, uh, including including the first couple rounds, uh, I think we have raised over eighty million in total uh, since since two thousand sixteen, uh, our first round, uh, and 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 currently we're also working on uh, new financing activities to to keep up with the growth uh, opportunities that we have seen in the pipeline. Got it. I mean, the first round that you did it was you and and your professor investing, and that. Uh... That amount didn't last long. In fact, you were literally one month away from bankruptcy. So tell us what were the sequence of events and how did you turn it around so that you were able to survive? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually, there was a stage when we are not actually monetizing much from our users. So we are testing out a lot of things and investing a lot in building our products and also the content and all the services. So there was a stage where we were bleeding so much. Uh, and it was just my own capital back then and, and another investor in a very early stage. So I guess the first, the first person who, who is crazy enough to invest in this company, uh, it's a, he's a, back then when I, when I first met him, he's 68 years old. Um, I met him in the bar. So I, I, I talked to, I talked to him uh, uh, in an event. Uh, it's, a, it's an event uh, uh, about, about um, doing social good in, in, uh, uh, it's a, in, in a bar in Hong Kong. So I told him about the idea uh, of uh, online education, how it can grow how I'm actually doing a, a tutoring online and gathered a lot of students. Uh, and uh, the next day, um, he came to our office and gave us a check. So uh, that, that's actually our first uh, investor who, who, who joined this journey. But even with my own capital and, and some new capital coming in to, um, uh, uh, to support the growth of the business, it's not enough. Uh, so uh, in 2016, uh, we started our first round of fundraising, but uh, it was not so successful. It took months actually six, six months longer than we expected to close the round. Uh, so by the time the money comes in for this first round, the Series A round, uh, we're actually one month away, away from bankruptcy. 
So we have about it's it's a it's not a very big team back then, not a, uh, not huge burn, but then still 20, 30 people in our in our team in Hong Kong. Uh, so I still remember we are we are writing checks for them uh, where we don't know if we cash. Uh, but then uh, the month after, luckily uh, uh, everything works works out. Uh, so the money came in, uh, although it's delayed, uh, the round was delayed. But then, uh, yeah, eventually it's closed, and then um, everyone is happy. <laughs> yeah. So why why do you think it took longer than expected? And if you could go back, I mean, how would you mitigate to avoid that happening again? Um, I, I won't say it's some it's some something we can mitigate entirely. Uh, I, I would say it's just our first round. We don't have much experience in fundraising back then, uh, and then uh, talking to a lot of people in in Hong Kong about uh, how we grow this company and eventually to 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 filter out who would be the right investor for us. Uh, and uh, I think uh, back then there was also this uh, this direction of um, uh, 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 how companies in Hong Kong can grow to a a billion dollar company or or, or, or even larger. Uh, but then everyone realized the fact that Hong Kong is actually a very small market uh, in, in every regard. Uh, the, the industry is small, the market is small uh, because of the population. At the end of the day, we just have to look at the market size. So Hong Kong is it's, uh, inherently having some uh, disadvantages in that regard. So uh, raising money for a business purely focusing in Hong Kong is not easy. So uh, I guess that's also one of the steps that we took uh, early in the in the preparation of the company that we uh, launched also our operation in places like Taiwan, Singapore. Although the size of these markets is not like like as huge as China, uh, but then uh, with our uh, expansion to these markets, uh, we can successfully show our, show investors uh, how um, how scalable it is uh, for Snapass to grow beyond just Hong Kong to other markets in in Asia, and how replicable it is. Uh, to build a business based on all the resources we have on hand. Yep. So, you know, one thing that is very interesting is how the investor mindset is is different from one geographic location to another. No, I mean, for example, in the U.S., investors, you know, especially at an early stage, you know, they're they're big time into growth and into product market fit. You know, for example, in Europe, let's say in Spain, where I was, a, a, you know, a raised, they're more about profit versus growth. No, and I think that. That mindset, you know, especially if you're thinking about marketplaces, it could really kill the business because more money today is not going to equal to more money tomorrow. In terms of the mindset there in Hong Kong and, and around you in the region, I mean, what, what's kind of like the mindset, you know, of investors? What, what gets them excited? It changes from, uh, from stage to stage, definitely. So uh, I, I would say uh, we went through three main rounds of fundraising. Uh, so from pre-A round and A, B, C round, uh, there are definitely different uh, investor mix uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in conversations with. Uh, so definitely pre, pre-A rounds, it's always about how, how scalable your idea is, how big the market is, and what kind of um, unique selling point uh, your product is actually building. Not necessarily a successful business model that you have already tested out and generated a lot of revenue using that model, but at least testing out how well it can monetize and showing some pre-scaled up uh, metrics that this is a, um, from an economics point of view, it actually makes sense. I mean, testing out these smaller components from a, uh, at a smaller scale uh, can get investors excited at, at that time, uh, at that stage. Uh, but of course, uh, once you have your uh, first ticket coming in in Series A until you get to Series B, it's about how big the market uh, you have pitched people about and how much you have actually acquired within that market that you've imagined yourself at being. Uh, 
So I guess some very concrete steps will be how well you're scaling your business with the team that you can hire and how your structure is actually built up for the long haul. So for our case, it's quite, I would say it's quite unique. The reason being we have our operation in nine markets at this stage that we are only five, six years in into operation. Uh, we already have nine nine different teams in nine different markets operating independently, as well as uh, they are a global team um, uh, with a lot of processes overlapping. Uh, I, I would say at the, the, the B2C round uh, stage, uh, not only you have to prove the business model works, but it had to work in multiple markets with the same kind of construct, team construct, operation model, as well as logistic, how uh, unit economic can, can actually, the same model can, can be applicable to each of the market. So it's also about the showing return on investment, not the return on investment on investors' money, but more on how well you're making decisions in your um, quarter by quarter, in smaller decisions, how you're investing money to measure your return as well. So these are all the topics I think, although quite broadly speaking, uh, everyone knows what it is, right? But then when you are multiplying this kind of, uh, this topic to uh, four, four to five markets, it's definitely much, much more difficult than if you're only in one market. Uh, so I would say Asia is unique in that way because everything is so scattered. Each market is quite small, but then the whole market is quite big per se, yeah. And in this case, I mean, for you guys, the last 11 months have been really incredible when it comes to headcount. Uh, and I mean, right now you're, you're closing in on 300 employees, but in the last 11 months, you know, you've, um, you've experienced uh, adding like something around like 120 or so. I mean, yep. there's like a few things there that, um, that are interesting. I mean, one is what do you think really um, caused that tremendous growth? Do you think that maybe COVID was something that treated you guys very well? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, as, as, you, as you mentioned, we, we did uh, double our size just within 2021, the first 11 months of 2021. Uh, I mean, the team is quite um, happy about the growth. I mean, I myself and, and some of my partners are also quite happy about the growth, but at the same time, it's quite scary. Reason being, when the organization grow, uh, not necessarily uh, leaders would grow. So we have to always um, uh, keep everyone uh, uh, on the same speed, same expectation, same standard. Uh, and most importantly, I have to also push myself a lot uh, to get to get up to speed. So um, I guess, I mean, as a first time entrepreneur, first time founder, I would always say I'm learning everything along the way. Uh, I don't have any management experience. I don't have anything about uh, how to run a 100 people company. I, I would not have uh, uh, experience in any of the topics that, uh, that right now I have to be good in. Uh, so um, uh, that's why I think along the journey, um, I'm quite grateful. Uh, in a way, I have very good team members uh, that I'm learning from and learning with as well as having mentors who are being very helpful. And there is always a community with us uh, in um, uh, facing these difficult times. Growing the, the, the team to 200 people plus, uh, right now almost very close to 300 people, uh, just within 12 months, it's, it's, um, it's quite scary. And the scariest part is these people you cannot see. Uh, I have uh, almost ha more than half of the team actually outside of Hong Kong. So um, these are people I don't work with every day. I don't see them, some of them, uh, I that we hired after COVID that I have not been uh, flying around uh, between markets for the last two years. It means that there are a lot of members that I haven't even seen them in person, met them in person. 
So this is a part that um, impact collaborations a lot, uh, as well as building relationship uh, for us to have a have a tight knitted team. Uh, so, uh, but but then to your point about uh, is COVID one of the main, main factor in helping the business to grow? Uh, I would say yes, uh, in a way, because um, we have uh, we have set up this whole logic and this whole platform and technology uh, for online education and digital learning since day one. So we don't there there is nothing uh, about adapting to the new online education behavior at all uh, since COVID started in 2020. But then. We had some uh, earlier success uh, uh, since the beginning of the pandemic when school are suspended, students cannot go out to, to, to tutorial schools anymore. Uh, they have to do everything at home. So they are stuck at home, but then the exam is still happening. So that's why they come to our platform. Active users uh, spiked uh, as well as um, usage and revenue increased a lot during the past two years. But one thing we also see, I mean, other traditional businesses, uh, although they are suffering a lot since the beginning of the COVID, uh, the pandemic, uh, but then I guess like any of the business, uh, we are all finding a way to survive. Um, so these businesses, uh, they are facing impact and disruption uh, during the, the beginning of the outbreak. They have also found a way to, be, to, to come out of it, to revamp their business, to reinvent some of the components in the business model. So now suddenly we have 10, 15 more competitors in the same market. Uh, and combining all the nine markets that we're in, there are all, almost like 100 plus competitors in our radar. So um, this is something uh, I think uh, always keep us up at night. Yeah. Got it. And talking about, you know, being up at night, imagine if you go to sleep tonight <laughs> and you obviously tremendous news, nothing is keeping you up. Like you sleep like never before and you wake up in a world five years later and you wake up in a world where the vision of SnapAsk is fully realized. What does that world look like? Technology is it's, um, advancing in a, in a tremendous speed for the past decade. Uh, so we're no longer talking about a technology that needs three years to be built. Uh, we can see uh, technological advancement almost weekly, uh, almost new things is coming out every day. Uh, so I think five years is a very long time frame. Uh, but then uh, our goal in Sabas is actually one of the first priority for us to, is to make education uh, personalized and available for all. Even though we're only focusing on a, on a small segment of the markets in Asia, uh, but then these markets are, uh, had a significant enough representation of the entire demographic in Asia, as well as also students globally. Uh, I think the education eventually, I mean, education eventually will go to, a, go to a stage where we don't have to go to school anymore. Uh, school will, not, will no longer be on our day to day. Uh, and if we can effectively acquire acquire uh, knowledge online through every means that we are that are available nowadays, we can all we can almost imagine five years from now it will get to a stage where everything you have to acquire is already online, and then what's left in school is no longer applicable to how we imagine the school function is like today. So um, this is something that's um, I think. Still, it keeps me up at night every day, um, uh, and also for the team, that pushes us us to um, to think about how we can uh, build a better product, a better service, and also a better platform for the for the entire community. Yeah, and and I mean you've been at it now for for quite a while. You know, I'm sure that there's a lot of lessons. I mean, you were talking about. I mean, this is your first day company, your first rodeo, and I'm sure that the the incredible lessons that you've been able to 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 get you know along the way have been remarkable. So. 
keeping that in mind, if you were able to go back in time, you know, imagine I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time to that moment where Timothy is coming out of school and thinking about, you know, building something of his own. And uh, you were able to have a sit down with that younger Timothy and being able to give that younger Timothy one piece of advice before launching a business. What would you tell your younger self and why, given what you know now? Yeah, of course. I, I won't just tell him one thing if I actually have a chance to, to meet him again. But if there is only limited time, I can only tell him one thing. It will be to stay focused. Um, and I think it's, it's the same message for a lot of entrepreneurs as well. Uh, we can always do a lot of things. And every day we have new ideas coming out. Uh, but the true ability of an entrepreneur or, or a founder, a leader, is not, it's never about doing more things. It's about doing less things. Uh, and being able to filter what is not necessary in your pipeline, what is not something that you should prioritize now, is a true attribute for a leader. So that's something I would definitely prioritize uh, for myself, for my younger self, and also for my future self. Yeah. And for this journey that you've had, you know, obviously learning a lot, I'm sure that you've read a lot too. So what would you say has been one book that you wish you would have read sooner? Oh, uh, there is this book, uh, uh, The Hard Things About Hard Things. Um, ben Horowitz. Good stuff. Yeah, Ben Horowitz. It's a uh, number one read for every entrepreneur, I would say. Short stories, you can read it within a day. Uh, and a lot of life lessons that, uh, that uh, Ben Horowitz uh, accumulates over his uh, 20 plus years of uh, entrepreneurial life. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Timothy, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It was an honor to have you here. Yep. My pleasure. Thank you, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.